thank you for sending Christ, your Son, to this filthy, dark, sin-infested world to live a life that would be perfect, providing the righteousness we need to cover us before you, and then providing His death and atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then rising up from the grave, Lord, proving that all of this is true. His deity is true. His words are true. His sacrifice, His atonement is true. And so that those of us who believe can rejoice in this day that Christ is risen and one day we too will rise and be with you. And so, Lord, is in this that we fellowship, in this that we rejoice today. Help us do this in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as always, it is a joy and privilege to be with you, especially on Resurrection Day. I'm so glad to be with you and worship with you and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 16. Today we're going to study the story of the resurrection from... Mark's perspective, which really was the experience of a number of ladies. If you didn't know it, in Jesus' ministry, there wasn't just the 12 disciples, but there were a number of others who followed Jesus, and probably most memorable among them were a group of ladies. Four, five, six, maybe even more ladies followed Jesus. Most of the time, they were supporting and providing and helping and ministering to Jesus all along the way, and these ladies had a very certain unique experience, not only in the death of Christ, but then in the resurrection, as we will see today. Let me read to you the first few verses of Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. Follow along as I read aloud. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? Go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just an interesting feature of the gospel, not just some little appendix to what we have as far as the story of Jesus, not some little detail as if to say, oh yeah, and by the way, Jesus rose from the grave at the end as well. The res resurrection is not just icing on the cake and all the important stuff happened before. No, the resurrection is the main event. As important as the cross is, the, the early church did not see fit 
to celebrate the Lord's Day on Friday when Christ died. They celebrated on the day in which He rose from the grave. This is the end of Mark's gospel, and this is the final event, the main point, the, the capstone of everything that Mark had said up to this point. And what I want us to do today is to capture the truth, the, the history of what happened there, put our, shoes, our feet in the shoes of those who were there, experience the resurrection as though it happened even today. We want to celebrate and worship God for this truth. So, let's put our feet in the sandals of these wonderful ladies. We need to visit that very first Lord's Day. I want us to be there, to feel that emotion of the moment, to know the truth, to, to sense what they sensed in that day. To do that, I think we have to start a couple verses earlier in chapter 15, toward the very end, verse 46. And as you know, there was a fellow by the name of Joseph from a city called Arimathea who had asked Pilate and secured the corpse of Jesus and dealt with the corpse by putting it in a tomb and, and a tomb that he owned and a tomb that he could secure Jesus in. Of course, he had to do this all hastily because Sabbath was upon him. He could not work. He could not do this before the sun went down on Friday night. And so he did it very quickly, very hastily, and put Jesus in the tomb and some ladies were watching. Look at verse 46 of chapter 15. Joseph brought the linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So these ladies, at least some of them, were watching this all happen. Now, where do you think they were emotionally at that point? Late Friday afternoon, almost the Sabbath, they had watched, and you learn from the other gospel accounts, that they had actually been some of the few peoples, few of his friends, uh, all the disciples save John actually ran away from the cross. And these ladies stayed and watched the crucifixion happen. And they watched Joseph of Arimathea take Jesus and wrap him up and lay him in the tomb. They followed him, obviously, to the tomb. Where were they emotionally at that point? Well, I hope that those of you who were here Friday night, we got a sense of what these people were feeling. It must be similar to what we read in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, our faith is in vain, we are found as people who believe in a, res a resurrection, which did not happen, we are found to be misrepresenting God. And so, therefore, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. That The people who've fallen asleep or died before you, they just vanish. They just perish. There is no resurrection of Christ. There is no resurrection of people. There is no heaven. And so, there's no hope. It goes on in 1 Corinthians 15, if, Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, but He didn't raise from the dead, we are of all people most to be pitied. I think this is where these ladies were emotionally at this point. Pitiful, sad, depressed. They, they felt not just the weight of the moment, they felt the weight of their sin upon them because they didn't know if Jesus, who had walked around and forgiven their sin and forgiven the sin of so many people, was even really God, if He really was whom He said He was. 
And these ladies, probably in a very sad mood, a very depressed mood, made their way to the tomb. This is where they were. Jesus was dead. They, they loved him. They had followed him. But in their hearts, all their faith in them, all their devotion, all their service, all their love was seemingly in vain. They couldn't know that their sins were forgiven. They couldn't know that he really was the Son of God. And they saw amazing things, but it, was it all true? Was it just a figment of their imagination? Was he just a trickster who came and fooled them? How would they know that he is divine and really the Son of God and his atonement really did work? Well, they wouldn't know. And they should be depressed. All seemed like a failure. All the miracles, all the sacrifice. These ladies, we know, at least some of them, gave financially to support all the disciples and Jesus. And these, these ladies had given a lot to keep this thing going, and it seemed like something that was all useless, all in vain. Well, that's where these ladies were at the end of chapter 15. Deeply sad and deeply sorrowful, broken and despondent. Just go with them there emotionally. Be with them. That sadness, that darkness. Imagine what they felt. Imagine if you have lived your Christian life to find out it's all a farce. That's what these ladies felt. All seemed like a loss. That was the very first Lord's Day. It started like every day in darkness. It started with sadness. But boy, they were in for a surprise. Now, I do want to address something briefly before we move along, and, and I'm just going to say a word about this. There, you can go back to our study. I think it was about nine or ten years ago in the book of Mark uh, where I covered this more extensively. I think I covered it in chapter 8, but also touched on it in chapter 16. But you'll notice in your Bible there in Mark 16, there's usually a note there that references verses 9 to 20. And what do we make of this note that says older manuscripts don't have these? Well, we believe the Bible is an inspired, infallible, and true. It's inerrant. It is God's Word to us. But we believe that about the original text of Scripture. What we have before us are translations. What we have before it is sort of been a, a chain of events where they dig up these manuscripts of people who had originally written Scripture and then copied these things, and we look at these manuscripts and determine what is original to Scripture. Well, this is one of those rare occasions where as we began to do more and more archaeological digging, they discovered that these last verses of Mark were probably not original to Mark. Now, they may be true. They may have some reflection of other verses of the Bible, but these things are not original to Mark. Now, the reason I bring this up is because I think this is the way Mark wants to end his gospel. He doesn't end with all these other things that are happening about snakes and all these things. He ends with the resurrection. He ends with the story of these ladies coming depressed, despondent, sad, dreary to discover that Jesus has been raised up and they can rejoice and be astonished. Well, as we look at the story here, we can break it up into three sections. The first section, really beginning in verse 1547, going all the way down to 16, verse 4, is the setting. This shows us uh, sort of the data, the information, the, the feel, the emotion, what, what was going on in their hearts and their minds, what were they saying to one another there leading up to their discovery of the resurrection of Jesus. That's the setting. Then we see the announcement, the announcement by the angel, the angelic announcement. What did the angel say? Why did he say it? That's verses 5, 6, and 7. This fills them with eager uh, anticipation for what's going to happen. And then in verse 8, we have their response. How do these ladies respond to such an amazing truth? And that's the goal of today. We want to respond to the resurrection, the truth of Christ's 
raised from the dead. We want to respond to that as these ladies were in joy and astonishment. So, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Number one, confusion. That's where it started with confusion. Darkness, disappointment, distress. All these words work. This section sort of gives us, like I said, the the setting, the who, what, when, where, who's involved, they were there. So let's just follow along there. Verse 1, we see this is a group of ladies, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and a lady by the name of Salome or Salome. Look up in verse 40 of chapter 15. These ladies, like I said, were at his death. They had ministered to him throughout his life, giving him money, giving him support, a place to sleep. They helped and served, and it says, and many others as well. So I do believe... These are sort of the the highlight ladies, the leading ladies. There are probably other ladies there as well. So I think more than just these three were involved. In fact, Luke identifies another lady by the name of Johanna who was with them. That's quite possible. Again, there were several ladies there other than the ones that Mark mentions. These are sort of the leading ladies that people would have known. Look at verse 1 again. When Sabbath was passed... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go anoint him. So these ladies and some other ladies come with them. They're going to go to the grave, and they're going to finish the job that Joseph started. Now, Joseph, if you remember, he had just a short amount of time to go from the crucifixion, the cross, all the way to Pilate's at the Palace Antonio, all the way to Pilate at the Palace Antonio, ask him for the body, ask him for the corpse, go through the process, whatever process that would be. He was a leader, so they may have let him in pretty quickly to see Pilate, but even if that was quick, he just had a little bit of time to get Jesus down off the cross, to wrap him up, to put the proper spices on him and put him in the grave. But his job wasn't complete. Usually they would put a lot more spices and a lot more, uh, you know, maybe embalming type things on a body. And that's precisely what these ladies were doing. And it was not just an act of, of, you know, science. They weren't concerned about the preservation or mummifying of Jesus' body. This was, this was an act of service. This was an act of honor and worship. And, and they thought, hey, it's not right for him not to be properly uh, ensconced in that tomb. And so perhaps we can take our spices. Maybe we can go there and maybe someone will move the stone away for us and we can go and finish the job that Joseph started several days before. We know he didn't have time to, to finish it. And so they would have collected all these spices. Some say as much as 70 pounds of spices were used in that day in in a a burial. And so these ladies, you can imagine, just the bags and bags and bags of spices. Again, probably more than just those few ladies mentioned. And they made their way to the tomb. Verse 2, it says they went very early in the morning. And that phrase, very early, what it means, it's used in that day to refer to the period between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And we can know a little more specifically by looking at the other Gospels that this was right at sunrise, right at the moment the sun was rising. The reason we can deduce this is because John tells us that of these group of ladies, Mary Magdalene, maybe she left early, maybe she just separated from the group, but she went ahead of the tomb in front of these ladies. She actually beat the rest of these ladies to the tomb. And there she found an empty tomb herself, right as the sun or right before the sun came up, and then she went back to tell uh, Peter and John, probably passing the ladies on their way or right as they got there, she said, I got to go and tell Peter and John. The ladies arrived right as the sun is rising, just to sort of do the math if you want the, want the uh, timeline here. 
Mary Magdalene goes back to the tomb, of course, that's when, and stays there alone after Peter and John leave, and that's when, of course, she sees Jesus, and he speaks to her personally. So she went to the tomb twice that morning, and she was a part of this group, but she ran a little bit ahead. But it all happened right at sunrise. You can discover this if you look at all the different accounts in the Gospels. At any rate, they started out probably from Bethany just before sunrise and arrived just after sunrise. And Mark gives us what they're talking about, at least what they're talking about right as they approach the tomb. What are they talking about? Who's going to roll away the stone? Now, this would have been a giant, heavy stone, so big, you imagine, so big that this whole group of ladies did not feel like they would have the power to roll it away. It had probably took several soldiers to move this with Joseph of Arimathea to put this stone over the tomb in the first place. And so these ladies are discussing this. They're wondering about this. You know, I think people are very critical about the, the, the ancient people who believe in the resurrection, who believe in the miracles of Christ. I think us modern people can be very critical. Oh, they're so superstitious. Why would they believe these things? But I think we see things like this, little conversations, little things that tell us these are very logical people. These are people who think straightly. They're just thinking, we've got to take these spices. Jesus is still dead. Even though they had heard the prophecies, even though they'd heard Jesus himself speak about resurrection, they just believed the logical thing. They were not superstitious. They believed the logical thing. They thought he was still in the grave, and they were discussing a very practical matter. Who's going to roll the tombstone away? And so they approached, and they were discussing this. Well, in the middle of that discussion, we get to verse 4, and it says, And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. The stone had been rolled away. They saw exactly what Mary Magdalene had seen just a few minutes earlier. The stone had rolled away. Now, just follow this. They had watched, just a few days earlier, they had watched as these soldiers put the stone, probably struggling to put that stone in front of the grave. And it must have been some work to put this stone in front of the grave. It must have been a massive stone. That all took place on Friday. And now, here they are on Sunday morning, and the stone has been rolled away. And they're in, in shock. They're stunned. How, how did it move? Who moved it? Now, we know who moved it. Hold on to what these ladies were experiencing. And in Matthew chapter 28, we learn who moved it. After the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, went to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone. It goes on to say, for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. In other words, these guards that were there guarding the tomb passed out. So you have this localized earthquake, everything shook, angel appeared, moved away the stone, the guards were there, they were shaking. It's funny because that passage in Matthew uses the same word for those soldiers shaking as it did for the word earthquake. They were, they were rattling, they were shaking, and they passed out. You imagine what they had to go tell their commanding officer. Well, I decided at that point to take a nap. They got scared. Now, this is the scene that the ladies came upon. As they walked there, I suspect they may have felt that earthquake. Then they saw the stone rolled away, the two guards passed out, and an angel. And let me just tell you, the stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could get out. Jesus' resurrection body could pass through anything. It was indeed His glorified, resurrected body. It wasn't so that Jesus could get out. It was so that the people could see in. 
the evidence that Jesus was indeed raised. So here they are, they're confused, they're depressed, they're downtrodden, and they come upon this shocking sight, a breathtaking, shocking sight. Did someone steal the body? That's what Mary Magdalene thought a few minutes earlier. These ladies also were shocked and confused, but they didn't run off. They didn't pass out, and they didn't pass out for one reason, because the angel was there beginning to comfort them. And that brings us to point number two, anticipation. Look there at verse 5. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right side, dressed in a white robe. They were alarmed. These terms, young man, white robe. These are, this is the language of an angel, so this is an angel. We know that there was a companion angel at one point, moved away. They, with everyone else in Scripture, when they saw an angel, they were shocked, they were amazed, they were alarmed, they were startled, and like that happens every time when people see an angel, the angel has to very quickly say, don't be alarmed, don't be afraid. He calms them down. What's the angel say? Verse 6, don't be alarmed. Like I said, it's what angels always say. Don't be afraid. This earthquake had happened. The soldiers were passed out. Don't be afraid, ladies. This connects them to all the other angelic beings throughout the Bible. But they didn't pass out. They took comfort, and they listened to what the angel said. The angel said, you seek Jesus of Nazareth. He knows what they're doing that morning. They're coming to see the body of Christ. They're coming to anoint the body of Christ. They're looking for Jesus. And here's the announcement, next phrase, he is risen, or he technically, he was raised. And here's the proof. See where his body was laid. Now, what would they have seen? There would have been a, a, a sort of cave dug out of a rock, right? This is how it's described to us, a sort of cave dug out of a rock. And, and in that little cave, there would have been a, a shelf. And some of you have been to Israel, maybe you've been to one of these places, perhaps even the, uh, uh, some people may suspect they found at least a couple different spots, they may have found the very grave in which Jesus was buried. And, and you can go, and sure enough, it's sort of a cave dug out of a rock, and in that cave there's a shelf. Sometimes there would be multiple shelves where multiple people could be buried. And so they look down upon that shelf, and they see the very thing that John and Peter would soon see. The linen cloths lying there, John 20, verses 6 and 7, the, the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head in a place by itself. The ladies look, they see the cloths. I would imagine these as though Jesus just came through them. I don't think Jesus stood there and unraveled himself. I think they just, he just passed through them, and they laid there as though his body. And so they probably saw just the shell, the mummified shell of these cloths therefore giving them clear evidence of the resurrection. Why would you seek the living among the dead, Luke tells us, this angel says. Jesus is alive. Why, why are you looking for a living person in a tomb? Now, let me pause here and say this. If you read, again, if you read some of the other accounts, you read Matthew's account, for instance, you, you find out there's leaders, the Sanhedrin in particular, are trying to, to, to start this big cover-up about Jesus' resurrection. They actually paid those guards that were there to, to spin a story, not to tell what actually they experienced, the angels, the earthquake, 
the fear. No, they, they pay them to, to spin a story, to spin it a certain way. And, and that would be, hey, we, you know, we got attacked and these disciples came and knocked us out and stole the body. But they couldn't deny that Jesus was out of the grave. The soldiers don't deny the empty tomb. The leaders don't deny the empty tomb. The disciples find out the tomb is empty. The soldiers know the tomb was empty. The religious leaders know the tomb is empty. You know, it's very interesting. You read the Gospels, no one can deny the miracles of Christ. All they can do is try to spin it another way. And Jesus is who He says He is. They're just left sort of covering it all up. Now, what's the rest of the announcement? End of the announcement, go tell the disciples, in particular their leader, Peter, tell them that Jesus will be going to Galilee. This is just as he told you. He told you he would be raised. Now go and tell them. Now these ladies have moved from confusion and depression to eagerness, to joy almost, to anticipation. The, the fear is starting to evolve into to an eager anticipation. Maybe we'll see Jesus. Maybe we'll talk to the disciples so that brings us to the last point, number three, joy. This evolves to joy. Again, remember where these ladies were just a few moments before. Darkness, sadness, all hope was gone. Their Savior had died. The preaching was in vain. The miracles were in vain. The loved ones were dead. Their, their faith was in vain. Worst of all, they had no forgiveness of sin. They were confused, frustrated, depressed. They walked over to the tomb, and in just a few Sweeping moments, everything had changed. Sight of divine beings, the divine announcements, the empty tomb, total confirmation of all that they had hoped in and believed. Verse 8, they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to any, anyone, for they were afraid. I don't think... The fear there is fear about what happened. I think the fear there is about getting the news out and being arrested. I think also they were so astonished and so awestruck that they weren't going to stop and hesitate and dilly-dally around until they had actually done what the angel said. The angel told them to do something, run back, tell the disciples, and they did just that. They're not going to stop. They're not going to grab, you know, brunch along the way. They're going to go straight back and tell the disciples. But the focus really of this verse is what they felt. They had trembling and astonishment. It had seized them. They were shocked. They were amazed. They were full of joy. Let me tell you something. I have five daughters. There were tears. They were shocked, filled with happiness. They couldn't believe. Could it really be? Is it really true? Is Jesus really alive? And they, they ran back wondering, is this true? Is this amazed, with amazed voices, they were saying, is this real? Did he, did he really rise up like he said he would? They didn't meander. They didn't slow down. They went straight back and told the disciples. And they did it running. The word there, fled. They ran back. What a wonderful moment, running back. How excited. Could, could you imagine being there running back? You guys won't believe this. All that they had hoped in, all that they had believed in for several years was proven true. The sacrifice of Christ was proven true. The, the forgiveness of sins, now it was a reality. The reality of His deity was confirmed. His Messiahship, the reality of the kingdom, all of it proven true in one brilliant moment for them. 
And breathlessly, they ran back. Before we close, I want us to think of this, this pattern of what had just happened. I think it really is the pattern of the human heart in salvation, don't you? There's confusion, depression, frustration, a conviction of sin, a, a sadness over the state of affairs, a, a sadness over death that's the result of sin, maybe even distress about your own soul. And maybe that's you right now. I don't have to wonder very much. I know that there are people in this room. Maybe you've been with us a long time. Maybe you were here last week. But maybe this is your first time in church in a while. And maybe that's right where you are. Confusion, frustration, concern about your own soul. Have your sins been, been forgiven? Maybe you've intellectually affirmed the things about Jesus, the resurrection stuff, but the truth of it has not entered your heart yet. You've not truly had faith. You've not given your life to Him. And I would just say to you, read this and follow this pattern. There is this depression. Then there is great anticipation. Could it be true that Jesus really is the Son of God? That He really is who He says He is? That He really rose from the grave? That He really conquered death and sin? And I would encourage you now even believe in Him. And you will find that joy, that astonishment, that breathless amazement, just like those ladies did on that day. What joy, what astonishment, what thrill, what breathless happiness. Now, as we think about this empty tomb, let me read to you the end, sort of the summary verses in 1 Corinthians 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man, speaking of Adam, came death, by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. I think those ladies felt that way once they had realized Jesus had indeed risen from the grave. My prayer is that we will realize this, again, not just in an emotional way or an intellectual way, but, but you will take these truths to your heart, have genuine faith in Christ. If you're a believer, to, to rejoice, and again, I say, rejoice in what Christ has done. And what's He accomplished? What He has accomplished through His resurrection, validating everything He said and did. Believe in Him, rejoice in Him. If you're not a believer, be saved today. Turn to Him in faith. Turn from your sin and follow Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for today. What a wonderful day to be together, to celebrate. What a wonderful day to be around Your church, Your people, to celebrate that all, all that You have done, not the least of which is the resurrection of Christ. What a wonderful thing to celebrate today. 
But again, Lord, we pray that this is not just momentary or just one day a year, but this is an everyday thing for us, that we rejoice and rejoice and rejoice every single day of our lives, that you have indeed conquered sin and death. Lord, through Christ, you have provided us salvation, the, the, the payment for our sin, the provision of righteousness, all these things we could not do. And so we look to Christ, our hope in life and death. We look to Christ, the resurrected one, We look to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. And Lord, we rejoice. We believe. And Lord, we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow after Him for what He's accomplished on our behalf. Again, help us live our lives in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me, if you will, for a time of benediction. Go now, believing in Jesus Christ, that He is the resurrected, resurrection and the life. You can rejoice that He did indeed rise from the dead and is seated at His Father's right hand. Go with that joy and peace on your lips and on your heart, and take joy as you endure, knowing that because of the resurrection, your labor is not in vain. You're dismissed.